0: Well, continuing with the first chapter of Being Dharma, Dompocha's uh, teachings uh, translated by Paul Brighter, former uh, Bhikkhu Warapanyo. So, uh, just to continue on from where we broke off last time. Why are we suffering? lost in the cycle of samsara, or conditioned existence, because we don't know these things according to the truth. We don't know suffering. So we pick up suffering, thinking it'll bring happiness, and it ends up biting us. Like the farmer who sees a cobra lying alone in the field and feels sorry for it. He thinks, we should have loving kindness towards creatures and give them a little help and comfort. He doesn't know what it really is, He doesn't know this is a creature that will inflict terrible pain. So he picks it up and gently holds it to himself. When it feels the warmth and comfort, it bites him. This happens because of good intentions, but there is no knowledge. This is something that can kill. You should understand this. It's just the same for us when we don't understand suffering. It's coming into existence, its cessation, and the way to its cessation so at, uh Cha teaching in northeast thailand in the um in the 19 60s and 70s uh, 80 early 80s as this was so, so snakes are around <laughs> around and about so it might be um, not something that seems very uh, sort of familiar or uh, pertinent to our life uh, seeing a, a cobra lying in a field at um, doesn't really happen here in England, but still the, um, the other kinds of cobras, the, the things that we, that we get uh, uh, angry about, the things we get excited about, the things we uh, get afraid of, uh, that's uh, abundant in our, in our lives and in our world, and uh, all of us in our various ways, whether it's through aversion or desire or fear or opinion, Um, and emotional habits of various kinds we pick those cobras up and go oh (laughs) how sweet how nice and uh we we follow those moods we we pick them up and and then as he says uh it uh, we should have loving kindness towards creatures and give them a little help and comfort that's his way of saying yeah this mood is uh, this is really worthwhile this this desire is really good to follow this angry feeling, yeah, I, I should, uh, I'm going to act on it, it this is good to, to, uh, to follow, and something in us feels rightness there, or, or some kind of uh, satisfaction that's going to come, even with something that's, that we would think of being as, uh, as being off-putting, like, like being worried or being afraid, we can uh, abide in our anxiety and can hold on to uh, our worries. And that uh, I remember one, uh, one of the uh, the monks at Abhayagiri Monastery in California it was um, he would, would describe himself as a world class fretter, not a fritter, not something fried, but a fretter, one who frets about things. And he said, "Well, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> yeah, but if I don't worry about things, you know, who will? You know? and you know, so both recognizing the habit and also being able to laugh at it, but that." Even something like that, or being being angry and upset, being uh, one who complains about things all the time. Uh, there's a kind of satisfaction that we can get through being in that state of complaining or worrying or or in contention with with things and with people. That um, uh, uh, we might not be aware of it, but that's the cobra that we we t- we pick up uh, things that are attractive or desirable. We we feel it's, it's there's some value in following that and, and pursuing. Um, whether it's something that's um, you know immediately dangerous or unwholesome like eating too much or uh, following a sense desire or going against the precepts to follow our our sense uh, sexual desire and so forth or it can be something that's a bit more so socially acceptable like uh, uh, achieving success in uh, in the uh, say the art in the field of, of academics or getting lots of papers published or being uh, being appreciated as a, as an actor or as a writer or as a, a performer of some kind um, in, uh, might be something that's quite uh, sort of socially approved of, but we can still be a, a thing that the mind is is easily uh, addicted to, and because of uh, of ignorance, Avicha, as uh, as Longpo puts it, this happens because of good intentions, but there's no knowledge. It doesn't mean to say we don't have information, but there's not. A reading of the picture. There isn't that. Oh, if I if I buy into this complaining, this desiring, this fearing, this aversion, this sense of a value that comes from being approved of or having papers published or or having a, a successful book or a big house or whatever, um, then it, there is that uh, uh, unawareness of the danger, and then it's gonna uh, it's gonna bite. And uh, as it says, this is something that can kill. Not, maybe not physical death, but certainly uh, psychological death. Uh, as uh, the Buddha said in the Dhammapada, uh, mindfulness is the path to the deathless, Heedness, heedlessness is the path to death. The mindful never die, the heedless are as if dead already. So that's just a fairly blunt and direct way of speaking. But... Um, That's when we get lost in our our moods or our habits, believing in our opinions or our complaints or our desires, um, our achievements, and uh, that that we take them to be absolute realities, then we set ourselves up for that psychological death. The heedless are as if dead already. Might be a bit intimidating. (laughs) It's it's intended to be encouraging rather than than, uh, daunting. All suffering and unsatisfactory experience comes from causes. When the causes end, the suffering ends. All dharmas, whether pleasant or unpleasant, arise from causes. That's dharmas with a small d, so like experiences, mental uh, impressions, phenomena. Uh, whether that pleasant or unpleasant arise from causes. Knowing the four aspects, suffering, its arising, cessation and the path, is all we need. No other dharma, dharma, capital D, is necessary because everything is naturally condensed into these aspects. So, uh, and that was where we ended the last reading. Where um, it was uh, uh, Chah was saying, um, uh, there is suffering born and suffering passing away. Outside of this, there's nothing else. Suffering arises, suffering passes away, and that in terms of knowledge, in terms of factual knowledge, um, then is reiterating that you know all we really need to know. <laughs> That the information we need to to, to uh, get, uh, help us to transcend uh, difficulties and to realize complete peace and freedom is in those four qualities: knowing dukkha, suffering; knowing how it uh, how it's caused; uh, how it comes to an end; and the, the way that leads to its ending. That's all we need. And so the the Buddha uh, very deliberately. I mean, even though there are uh, you know forty five volumes of teachings in the Tipitaka. Um, he uh, he said uh, over and over. I teach one thing: suffering and the ending of suffering. And he deliberately limited the range of his teaching to uh, that as the 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 heart, the heart essence. And uh, one of the most well known, but I feel also potent, uh, images that uh, we get from the the the, uh, the sutras is where the Buddha is walking through a forest, through a uh, a a wood of singsapa trees. And he picked up a handful of leaves and said, this is outside of Kosambi. so what do you think is greater in number, the leaves in my hand or the leaves in the forest? And it was one of those very, very predictable questions, sort of rhetorical question. And then the, the monks who were with him said, Venerable Sir, the number of leaves in your hand is very, very small. <laughs> the number of leaves in the whole forest is very large. And the Buddha said, exactly so. What I teach you is comparable to the leaves I hold in my hand, what I know, uh, what I understand, is comparable to all the leaves in the forest. Now, why do I only teach you this much, this little handful of leaves? Uh, because you know, this is what leads to liberation, this is what leads to peace, this is what leads to, to benefit. Why don't I teach you all the rest, the, all the other gazillions of of, uh, of things that are knowable? Because they don't lead to peace, they don't lead to liberation, they don't lead to, to fundamental well-being. And so it's a deliberate limitation of the range of, of knowledge and teaching to, to focus the attention very specifically on that that uh, that one area. So, any questions, thoughts, reflections before I carry on. Don't be shy. These readings are for you, not for me to be to be speaking. So, any yes. Um, Adrian, how do you work out if something is a cobra or not? I mean, that's sort of um, yeah. So you just when it bites. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, before it bites, yeah, you you. Think, it, um, What's that round shape in the grass? Hmm. Perhaps that's a cobra. Maybe. Uh, last time I picked one up, I, I ended up in hospital. Uh, I survived, but uh, that's what happened last time. Okay, this looks similar. Therefore, pay attention. Yeah, walk around it. So, um, so figuratively and, and actually, that's a sensible way to operate. So, when you know that you have been bitten by something in the past, then um, often just appreciating the painfulness of that, when it bites, is the most helpful um, treatment. Because uh, the, the, um, if we get if the mind gets caught up in oh that was so stupid how could I do that this is really painful I'm a terrible person how I'll never be forgiven I'm incurably awful then all those uh, oh I'm determined never to do that again I, I'm making this solemn vow I'm going to write this 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 testament in blood that I'll never ever do this again we kind of overdramatize it and personalize it and we actually kind of bury the actuality of the painfulness. In all this stuff, the mind is, with good intentions, again, creating around it. Um, this, my, this is how my experience works. Uh, and the more that it's just the, the wordless appreciation of the painful uh, nature of the result, of the effect. Here's the cause. I followed this impulse. I, I felt angry and I acted on that anger. Uh, how does it feel? Ow! That's it. <laughs> Just, the, and the more un, uh, unfiltered that is, the less verbiage and conceptualizing uh, and personalizing around it, then the more effectively that pain teaches. If there's a lot of uh, mental creation around that, then, uh, uh, I mean, it's not, everyone is a bit different, but I've, for myself, this is what I, I tend to recommend. The more raw, and uh, non-conceptual, um, that, that, uh, that pain is, is that the more it's like you haven't got an anesthetic when you go to the dentist, you know, the more you, can, you feel that the, the, the painful result of that action, whether it's following a, 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 a destructive desire or, a, or anxiety or an aversion or an opinion, that the, the direct appreciation of feeling letting that that pain be felt uh, without creating a, a self view around it, then that has the most profound effect because it's rather like um the the instinct of preventing pain, so even if as a small child you um when you you burnt your hand on a on a radiator or a cooker and you touched a, a pot because oh it smelled good so you touched the the cooking pot, ow! Then you know your 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 mother or your father or a sibling says that's an, that's an owie. <laughs> you know, remember this don't touch that. So you you look okay when the pot's on the on the cooker and the steam's coming off. You know if you touch it'll be ow. So that it's. As a young child, it's a non-conceptual thing, you recognise the form of it, and you know what happened last time, and the bl- the blisters and the the pain that came. So, um, we learn lessons through physical pain quite directly, and so that, and those injuries and those painful feelings are what we learn from. So that we know, okay, if it's if it's got those signs of being hot, then you know, be careful. So it's exact in exactly that way. You're not. Uh, deliberately making things hurt but just letting that painfulness be be felt rather than sugaring it over or avoiding it or, or, uh, or over-dramatizing it and, and burying it in in the kind of um, uh, various forms of, of creation around that but just letting that be felt so that hiri uh, that moral sensitivity is it works best, just like physical pain. It works best when it's un, unmediated or undecorated. Just that here's the cause. Uh, I acted in a, a reactive way. Yeah. Like, like today, I was at a, a Padipa, and uh, I was um, giving a little dhamma talk in in um, respect of the fifty fifty days after the death of the the abbot, uh, um, Thanjakun. Tae Pavanam passed away fifty fifty days ago. So I was giving a Dhamma talk, and I was talking, uh, and uh, I spoke about a few things, but uh, uh, I ended up talking about Upeka Equanimity. And so then uh, it's already eleven fifteen, and they say, "Oh, time to take the photographs." And then thinking eleven fifteen, eleven twenty, the <laughs> the time for the meal offering is has already arrived. It was going to be at eleven. It's now 11.25. That, well, I just gave this dumb talk about upeka. <laughs> if I start getting impatient with the people, like, hey, enough for the photographs. You've got to, you've got to eat. Like... <laughs> so the the temptation to uh, to be impatient, uh, to exhibit an, uh, an, a non-upeka mentality uh, might have easily arisen at that moment. But I thought, well, this was talking about upeka. I better... Um, be good to <laughs> better practice what i preach literally and so, okay well if they want to keep taking photographs okay uh, everyone knows what the time is and uh, probably and everyone knows that the, the 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 limit for for being able to have uh, the meal offering is 12 noon most people probably know that so okay just just relax and uh, practice upeka so if I, and so then the, the result of having been equanimous and let things go by, we did have uh, the, the meal offering took place and we finished at 5 to 12, <laughs> without having to rush, so all was good. So the feeling I had then was a sense of gladness that, ah, that, that wholesome impulse to not get irritated with people taking photographs. Had a good result. Here's the cause. Pa- Opeka was actualized. The effect was oh, sabai, so you know, contentment and, and ease. Here's the cause. Here's the effect. I'm not I'm not boasting. I'm just saying that's a good example. So just as you let the pain teach you, then you also let the good results of, of actions. When you have been kind, you have been unselfish, you have been restrained. <coughs> then that the, the the pleasant results of of wholesome action are similarly appreciated not to be i've really got it together my practice is really going places this is really great i'm you know you don't again build a whole story around it but just here's the cause here's the effect uh, and this let that that let that be the guiding principle okay so to continue the points of contact the receiving apparatus are the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. When the mind is aware and recognizes that experience is suffering, it will let go. It actually lets go in a great hurry. So when there's avijja, um, there's the not realizing that's a cobra, <laughs> picking it, you pick it up and cuddle it. Uh, when there's vijja, when the mind is aware, when there is that awareness, then it recognizes if this is picked up, there is danger, <laughs> so uh, that this can be picked up. But picking up a snake, you need to pick it up in a very particular way. Usually, with a, a forked stick, just behind the just behind the head, you can hold the snake down, then pick it up with your hand coming from behind the head to pick it up by that part of the neck, and then you can put it into a sack and carry it outside the forest to uh, live its life comfortably somewhere else. But um, <clears throat> if generally, if you if you realise it's a poisonous snake. Then, if you're aware and you realise that if this is picked up, if this is clung to and identified with, then um, then it's like you're not going to go near the, the the snake because you know it's it's dangerous. You're not going to be inclined to, to pick the thing up at all. You're going to no, that's a, that's a danger dangerous and can bring deadly suffering or or death. So you like, you leave it alone. Whether it's an opinion, whether it's a mood, whether it's a um, an attraction, an aversion, or an anxiety, a, a fear, whatever, whatever particular tone it might take, there's a recognition of of any particular experience um, has the potential for creating that dukkha if it's attached to. And so that then, uh, as you said, when the mind is aware, when the vijaya is established, then things uh, it lets go in a hurry. Or, ideally, it doesn't... It doesn't even pick it up and, and cling in the first place. So this is very much uh, the, uh, the theme of, of most of lumpus teachings in um, recent years um, uh, that is, is kind of en- encapsulated in those, that, one, uh, that one or two sentences. When the mind is aware and recognizes that, that that experience is suffering, it'll let go. It actually lets go in a great hurry. So be aware, be awake. And this is the the central theme of uh, Lumpur teachings in many and various aspects. So you who practice, please know this clearly. Knowing this important fact will enable you to be decisive in your practice. There are many scholarly and scriptural approaches to elucidate and help people to, to see this clearly. Some of you have no doubt studied the sutras and the Abhidharma. They talk extensively about the mind, and you may have gotten the idea that you need to learn all of this. Seems like a good thing, but you can get stuck in the discussion without really knowing what it is pointing out. You merely learn to enumerate the things that the scriptures say. So that um, he in this he's going into the... Um, uh, the, the genuine quality of awareness brings a certain decisiveness, a, a kind of resolution. That this is how the mind is relating to all experience, pleasant, painful, neutral, um, in all these different dimensions. Um, and that there's uh, like a, an absence of delusion in relating to the sensory world, whether it's uh, with, with seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, uh, uh, imagining, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, knowing this important facts and knowing seeing things through that lens of the four noble truths, then there's a decisiveness, uh, uh, a kind of um, uh, uh, a, a unity and, and a, uh, a kind of um, say uh, a single mindedness in terms of, of the practice. That's the way the mind is trained to relate to the whole experiential field, whether it's Familiar, unfamiliar, attractive, unattractive, uh, familiar or or, or, or or and comprehensible or, or very weird and, and strange, then the mind is is trained to relate to all of that with with the same uh, in the same attitude that if anything within this is clung to and attached to identified with, then dukkha will be the result. So then he goes on to. You, you might hear those words and say, yeah, right, that makes perfect sense to me, got it. <laughs> so we have learnt the information, uh, we've got the, the formula, uh, but then um, then what he's going into is in saying that the the words about it, the words about that attitude and the words about how to cultivate that attitude are not that attitude, just like uh, the, the word book, it's not a book; it's a word. <laughs> the a, a very obvious uh, example: well, you know, the word "chair" is not a chair. You can't sit on the word "chair." <laughs> you can't read uh, the you know, the word "book." is uh, is indicating you know, this this object, but it's just a, 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 in itself. It's just a word. So, and this was a very very common theme of Longpo Cha's teaching is. Um, how easily the mind gets drawn into descriptions about things or words or ideas about about reality and then getting stuck on the word or getting stuck on the the idea uh, the, uh, that describes the quality rather than embodying that quality of awareness itself you merely learn to enumerate the things that the scriptures say an easy example is the study of arithmetic Some people have to learn methodically, step by step, and then they're able to do things with numbers. But for some, this isn't necessary. They have a natural affinity for numbers, so they don't need to learn the method of adding or the method of subtracting and so on. They merely use the method of thinking, and they can intuitively figure out sums, knowing immediately the same things as the person who has studied laboriously and employs the learned methods. There are different approaches for different kinds of people. The results are of equal worth, but the ways of reaching them are different. So, whether you uh, intuitively understand how uh, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and you know, all those different aspects of mathematics work, whether it's kind of just automatic and, and very quick, or you have to sort of work your way through it, still the results of the calculation will be the same. Uh, however, you've, you've gone to uh, you've gone about arriving at it but the ways of reaching them are different. So this is talking about different dispositions, different kind of characters. And uh, this was one of the great skills that uh, the Lumbucha had, was that not assuming that everyone has the same kind of character disposition and realizing that um, some people are, mu- are more uh, prone or more, um, say, ha- have an aptitude towards concentration, or other people have an aptitude towards wisdom. Other people have an aptitude towards faith. Others, others have an aptitude towards uh, exertion and energy, and so that you know those different character types, different ways that people tend to to function and blossom, uh, they they vary from person to person. But um, so that finding different forms of practice, different ways of expression of the, of the teaching that fit those many and various different types of character was, was one of Lopuchan's great skills, and one of the reasons why this. So many people looked to his his guidance because it was it was definitely not a one size fits all. It was like <laughs> he would uh, he was well known for being able to sort of pull um, uh, meditation practices and reflective practices sort of like pulling an endless number of rabbits out of his hat. It was like uh, sometimes you know he would describe a practice and then and then. Uh, uh, and then he would say, well, look, uh, so how how do you do this, Lumpur? And he said, well, I don't know, I've never done it, but I think it might work for you. <laughs> <laughs> With that kind of uh, readiness to to uh, say, well, you try this and see see how it, uh, it works in that particular situation. Usually he had tried things out himself, but uh, sometimes he would just sort of invent, you know make somebody up on the spot and say, you know, I've just, just this just occurs to me as something that might be useful, so you can try that and see see what the result is. You can practice without much study and still know well. The Pacheka Buddhas, the solitary enlightened ones, quote unquote, who become awakened without a teacher, are a good example of this. They can't teach anyone, but they can instruct themselves. Though they know within themselves, they cannot tell others. They're always peaceful and radiant, but they cannot teach anyone else. It's like being a mute. A mute can dream, and in the dream she sees fields, mountains, animals, and so on. When she wakes, she can't tell others about it. If an ordinary person dreams of snakes, he can tell others about the snakes he saw. If he dreams of cattle, he can tell others about the cattle. The Pacheka Buddhas are just like a mute who has dreamed about something. Still, they have no desire, anger, or delusion, and are out of the cycle of birth and death. Their burden is small. The mute has the same knowledge and experience as the one who sees the various things in dreams and is able to speak about it. In their knowledge, they are equal. So all these things are within. The Buddha wanted us to seek out the truth. This is where the truth is. When something is dirty, there are those who will simply try to avoid it. Actually, the problem is how to clean it. When you wash and scrub it, you see cleanliness in the same place where there was dirt. But some will see the unclean and want to get away from it, thinking the clean must be somewhere else. Cleanliness and dirtiness are mixed together. The deluded sentient being and the enlightened one are mixed together. Knowing and not knowing are mixed together. When we can separate them out, we see clearly. So that might be um, a little bit tricky to, to follow. I'm um, also appreciating that English is not the first language of most people here, and even for those who for whom it is the first language, that might take a little bit of unpacking. So uh, Lumpur Chai used to often say, "Samsara and Nibbana, they're known in the same place. They, they're both known by the same mind. And so that um, often he would talk about we want goodness, and we want, uh, and we don't want badness. So we attach to goodness. We want to have only goodness, and then we reject badness. But saying cleanliness and dirtiness are mixed together, so that that the mind um, makes uh, the 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 mind that is, uh, say, embodying the 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 dhamma is. Um, it's knowing both cleanliness and dirtiness. It's the same mind that knows those. They happen in the same place. They're mixed together. If you only want cleanliness and you don't want dirtiness, if you only want nirvana you don't want samsara, if you only want um, uh, peace and quiet and you don't want activity, then you know, you're you're looking in the wrong place. That uh, you're you're trying to to say have only up and no down, <laughs> or, you know, uh, or uh, you know only front and no back. It's like a, it's something that can't it can 't happen it can 't be that way in nature but oftentimes the the teachings are, are presented in that way and on a on a, a rudimentary level or a basic level uh, you know the Buddha said to to, to do that which is good papasa karanang to to uh, to not do anything that is unwholesome that is that is unskillful um, uh, subha papasa kusala subasampada giving rise to the wholesome sacitta pariyodapanang the purification of the heart etana bhuta Etang this is the teaching of all the buddhas so to not do what is evil to do what is good and to purify the heart so people hear that and they oh so so i'll just do the good hang on to the good and reject the the evil and then that'll be um that'll be following the path and uh, lumpojana saw that that um, taking that, uh, that principle of only wanting the clean and not wanting the dirty, only wanting the good and, and not wanting the bad, that it's, uh, it's just kind of the, the, uh, the opening stages of the practice, but getting to the, the, the mind that, that knows good and bad and is neither uh, good nor bad in and of itself, the, the, the mind which is aware of goodness and badness, cleanliness and dirtiness, and knowing and not knowing, um, that the, that is the the mind that is really embodying the Dhamma. That is the the mind, the quality of mind that is the genuine refuge. So that um, <coughs> the uh, uh, that's something that that comes out in many many different uh, many different teachings in many different ways. He expresses that, but I feel that's it's also there's echoes of that in um, some of the Northern Buddhist teachings where. Um, they talk about the uh, the equality of samsara and, and nirvana. And uh, it's uh, uh, when Lumpu Cha came across Zen teachings, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa translated uh, the teachings of Huang Po and also the sutra of Huineng into Thai, from the, used the English as a basis, and then translated from the English into Thai. And Ajahn Cha was very uh, in, interested to, to read those, and that's that. You also get that same kind of expression of samsara uh, and nirvana being found in the same place or known by the same mind, so that resonated very, very strongly with lumpa Chara's own insight into that area. Are there any questions, thoughts? Yes. Just wondering what he's talking about. Is that a result, or is that something you do? of um like not attaching to good and bad is that a practice you're supposed to do or is it a result of the practice <laughs> well it, it, uh, it, everything starts off as an idea and then you see you hearing the idea like hearing the dhamma you hear it or reading it that's the kind of stage one so then and then understanding getting the you hear it and then you understand the concept so that's um Okay, that's the, uh, the you hear it, and then you get the idea of it, and then practicing that. Okay, applying that as an as a principle in, in relationship to your ha- habitual way of seeing things, and then that so that the pariyati is the study, patipati is the practice, and then pativeda is the realization. So hearing uh, that as a principle of seeing. Uh, uh, the, the mind which is uh, is not attached to, to goodness and badness, hearing that as an idea, and then, oh yeah, that make, that kind of makes sense. Then, okay, how does that change the way my mind is creating good and bad throughout the course of a day? And then applying that and see, and then in certain moments, like, ah, I see how that works. That, that which is knowing the sweet and that which knows the bitter it's the same it's the same quality of knowing that which knows success and failure uh confusion and clarity aha Uh, so that then that is the the practice of that principle and seeing how that takes shape so applying it, and there's moments of aha (laughs) is that realization of when the the vision actually changes and that there is a, a a shift of attitude so it is in a way something that we do, <laughs> but and then it's uh, a, a um, it's also uh, in it, uh, the result of what has been done. Uh, is uh, it's like that's the point of it. So those three uh, study, practice, and realization, pariyati, patipatti, pativeta, uh, they are the kind of the th- basically three levels of of, of dharma training, and and in the um, uh, the 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 title for this book, being Dharma, is is um, a derivative of a, a pattern that the uh, the the, uh, the Buddha speaks about quite regularly in the suttas, You know, hearing Dhamma understanding Dhamma, practicing Dhamma, realizing Dhamma and then Ajahn Chah adds on being Dharma as a sort of the finale or the kind of the fulfillment of that that whole process. The 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 simplest simpler way of, of describing it is in the uh, study practice and realization and you also in the in the buddha's first discourse the dhamma chakra Sutta, sutta um, you have that uh, for each of the four noble truths there is a statement of the truth like idang dukkan this is dukkha that's the this represents the study and then uh, the uh the the practice is the way it should be worked with. So dukkha parinyanti, it should be uh, understood, it should be apprehended, it should be appreciated, uh parinyatanti, it has been real it has been understood, it has been apprehended. So each one of the four noble truths, uh then there's the the idang uh dukkha samudaya, this is the cause of suffering. Uh, Pahatabhanti, it should be let go of, Pahinanti, it has been let go of, and so on and so forth. So right in that very first discourse, that, that model of the study, the practice and realization that's uh, embodied there. So that's uh, a lot of Buddhist teaching, and co- uh, both um, in terms of informal teaching and also formal study of, of, uh, in the Buddhist tradition. It, it uses those three levels or three stages. Is awareness. It's what knows this moment. So is it mindfulness? Well, my uh, mindfulness is the active employment of awareness. I mean, there's different ways you can describe it. So, if you say uh, mindfulness as a thing that is done, is um, clarifying that natural quality of awareness so it's like the uh, the like uh, like so uh, <clears throat> the uh, awareness is like the the water putting the water to some use is uh, say so that being mindful or applying that quality to a particular situation like I'm thirsty. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's also, you can get a bit lost in semantics because people there's literally dozens of different definitions of mindfulness and awareness and consciousness. <laughs> so with any kind of Dhamma teaching, you can't really pin it down as to this is the one you know perfect expression. So um, listening to a particular teacher or uh, getting to know how they express things and then applying that through your own practice so that you uh, there's a sense of oh this is what aware uh, being aware is uh, or this is what being mindful is okay this is it it seems to be this is what's being talked about okay let's take that as my working model and see if that needs adapting as we go along but this seems to be what's being expressed or, or being applied okay <laughs> <Just a> little... <laughs> I was just wondering if the importance awareness is um, a more transcendental or a more free from defilement awareness. Uh, I would say so. That's what he's meaning by that. Yeah. that uh, when, and, but he usually uses the word consciousness. That, uh, to, uh, so that you know the word mindfulness can apply can refer to. Uh, quite, quite properly, just a, from any, a whole spectrum of different qualities, from just like a, a cognition of a of a particular experience, like noticing this moment, being aware, being mindful of this conversation, mm-hmm. just cognizing there's a conversation going on in a room with a, you know the people gathered together. So then uh, another level of mindfulness is that mindfulness and, and full awareness, the so Sati Sampajanya, so that aware of, yeah, there's a conversation going on. It's now uh, uh, 20, uh, it gone 20 to 7 in the evening. Uh, I've asked a question. Am I understanding this? Uh, I've got part of it. part of it. I don't understand. Uh, I'm interested in this bit. Um, I'm not interested in that bit. Uh, I wonder if other people are interested as well. <laughs> so then, then there's that it's, it's mindfulness and full awareness is an appreciation of the uh, of an object and then the context within which that appears. So when Lumpur Samadhi uses the term um, intuitive awareness, that's his translation of sati sampajanya. And so in that that um, that level of mindfulness can be including I don't understand. It can be a lack of uh, a lack of clarity. Or it can be. Uh, I'm fully aware that my mind is totally confused. You know that uh, if that's the case, <laughs> so that uh, it doesn't mean you, uh, that you uh, you understand everything, but it's like the mind is aware. It's, these things are not clear, or if it's dark outside, uh, fully aware that you can't see because it's dark. And then the third level of mindfulness, to in, in one way of expressing it. Is Satipanya or Mindfulness Conjoined with Wisdom, which will be not just recognizing, you know, the perception of this moment and the content of this conversation, but also recognizing, well, my mind is putting together sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, memory, language, and creating this moment. This is a mental event. Yes, we're sitting in the sala and having the Dhamma reading, but actually this is all known through the agency of this mind. If I close my eyes, the visual world vanishes. I open them, it reappears. This is, a, this is not the world. This is this mind's representation of the world. Right? So that if that's the same for... I'm not reading anybody's mind. It's just like how, <laughs> how things work. None of us experiences the world... We all experience our mind's version of the world. Uh, and just like uh, Lumpur uh, Chah talking about you know, ignorance, like you, know, you, you don't see the snake, you don't see the danger in the snake. You, you, we experience the world through uh, the influence of our language, our memories, our age, our family history, our education, you know, and so on and so forth. So each of us experiences a, a version of the world, and we can cohere and f- function together as a group because of certain human agreements. But uh, and to make a, 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 to use this time for a particular purpose, but that, that's there's nothing fixed about that. You know, we can uh, so that uh, <clears throat> if we rec- if we recognize that. Um, In every moment, what is being experienced is uh, an an empty set of uh, mental phenomena, eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose, tongue, body, mind consciousness, uh, then there is a far more um, accurate and uh, attuned uh, appreciation and a much greater ability for the mind to be unbiased by liking, disliking, uh, comfort discomfort and so on and so forth so or, and the word mindfulness can refer to both the, everything from the basic cognition to that sort of the full awareness of an awakened uh, an awakened buddha so it's there's always a certain amount of shorthand <coughs> so when uh, but usually going back to Lumpur sametha usually when he uses words like awareness and much more often he uses consciousness he's referring to that uh, a liberated transcendent Quality of, of awareness. One uh, other expression uh, that, um, uh, or way of describing it, that uh, uh, a uh, one of the Dhamma teachers in America used he said, It's like if you imagine you're in a spaceship and you're looking out of the window of your spaceship and a, a meteorite comes by or a rock passes by and uh, and you see the 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 light from the sun reflected from that, that rock, and so that the um, our conscious uh, experience or, or the the, uh, the 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 light that's reflected from the rock is our ordinary everyday experience. The the sun that creates the light in the first place is awareness itself, which is again an interesting way of thinking about it. Hmm? Well, chew on that, chew on that one a bit, yes. You can try it if you happen to be up in a spaceship, you can see. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, to continue, to continue. If we look at the life history of the Buddha, we see that he didn't take any shortcuts. He really did things right. But for us, there's no end to the story. With our minds, when something comes and we like it, in the end, there'll be sadness. Why is this? Something that we don't like, we can lose or discard without any sadness. Why is that? It's ordinary, an extremely ordinary occurrence for us. That all of us enter the practice with correct understanding, then there will be no returning. Like the stream-enterer, whose mind is inclined towards the Dharma. Then in living together, there will be very few problems. If we all get to this point of inclining the mind to Dharma, we'll be in harmony. Whatever whatever anyone may say to us, we won't take our reactions as the standard. If we have a sense of responsibility, we'll be honest with each other, without jealousy or strife. This is the way of people whose minds have bent to the stream. Where do such people come from? From those whose minds had not yet bent. Literally, called the thick ones. Oh, that's the... His translation for patujana put, means like a worldling. It literally means uh, uh, "being thick." Or uh, Ajahn Santikaro, uh, former Ajahn Santikaro, uh, translates as "thickster." So, so patujana is also one of those uh, uh, puns that the people are fond of, fond of in Thailand. Say uh, that uh, some uh, what kind of genre? Uh, someone sitting in meditation, sort of Lost in a, a dull state of mind, you know, what kind of jhana are they in? They're in putu jhana. <laughs> kind of it's a, it's a Pali pun that they're, that they're kind of um, yeah they're in a state of absorption, but they're just absorbed in their own stupidity and, <laughs> and, and thickness. So uh, where do such people come from? Where do those minds who you know those whose minds have have inclined towards the stream, who've entered the stream? From those who were uh, uninclined, uh, from uh, from the the, uh, the 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 minds who those whose minds had not yet bent, literally the petrugular, the thick ones, those who become virtuous people and eventually awakened beings are orig- are originally just this class of people, no other. So that's uh, also good to remember. That's where enlightened beings come. Uh, enlightened beings come from unenlightened beings. <laughs> that's uh, there's no other place that they come from. So to summarize what our practice is about, we can use the terms that traditionally describe the four virtuous qualities of the Sangha, or the community of genuine practitioners, whoever practices well, who is upright, who practices to escape from samsara, who practices wisely by way of body, speech and mind, they will find it all coming together at the one point of accomplishment. So this is describing the, the, the qualities of the Sangha. Supatipano, uh, Ujupatipano, Nyaya Patipano, that we recite in the in the chanting. So Supatipano, those who have practiced well. Ujupatipano, uju means straight, or uh, as he says, um, one who is upright, straightforward. Nyaya um, Patipano, those who practice with uh, integrity. And uh, he, which he translates as those who practice to escape from samsara and those who practice wisely um, samichi patipano um, those who are who are accomplished in the practice is another way of describing that so that was also um one of the um uh, one of the translations for the word bhikkhu that uh, Ajin chah would would often emphasize he said it uh, often it's taken to be one who lives on alms food, a bhikkhu or a bhikkhuni. Uh, Bhiksha or bhikkha is uh, alms food or, or a, 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 a morsel of food that is donated. Um, but he said that another translation for, for bhikkhu is one who sees the danger in samsara. So again, one who recognizes the, the danger in the, the snake uh, you know, lying there in in the grass enjoying the sunshine. that. Um, uh, a, a spiritual practitioner is one who sees the the danger in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and uh, and thinking, and not uh, with a, aversion, uh, like is um, when you're standing at the side of a road waiting to cross. You're not averse to the cars that are coming and going, or the lorries and the other traffic, but you're not just walking out into the middle of it. So there's a wise caution. Um, you see the danger of walking out into the middle of the road. Um, uh, you don't have to be averse to the the things that are, are there, but you know, don't treat this lightly, because you need to wait for a gap in the, the flow in order to, to make it safely across. So one who sees the danger in samsara is not cultivating uh, fearfulness or in an unskillful way or aversion in an unskillful way, but just recognizing this is this is dangerous territory. This is tricky. You know, we can you can easily cause harm here. So so pay attention, be careful. Wait wait for the gaps and then uh, and then cross uh, at that point. Uh, also, when um, when uh, Lumpo has been talking uh, about the um, the refuge of Sangha, then what he would uh, talk about is the, uh, w- in the, the wording of the chanting uh, t- tends to refer to Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha in a very externalized way. So it's talking about the person of the Buddha the qualities of the Buddha as a, the great being who established these teachings two and a half thousand years ago um, and uh, the the Dhamma, somewhat as the, the teachings of the Buddha, um, uh, but, and in the Sangha as the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings, the, the those who have reached the different levels of enlightenment. But um, uh, both uh, you Cha, Lumpo Bosomeito and other of, of the forest nuns would emphasize, and I, I I try to do this um, very regularly uh, when never giving the precepts. and and, uh, for ordination ceremonies or uh, doing the precept ceremonies on the weekend and such like, to emphasize that the refuge of Buddha and and the refuge of Dhamma and the refuge of Sangha, what makes them a refuge is that they are are qualities of our own jitta, they're natural attributes of our own minds that can be drawn upon. Uh, As Lompocca would say, you know, The the Buddha who's a refuge is not the Buddha who lived two and a half thousand years ago, and he could sound quite heretical in that respect. So you know he's gone. You know he's he's not that that's not the genuine Buddha refuge. You know a refuge is a safe place. It's a genuine quality of security. So the idea of a Buddha or a statue that doesn't that doesn't really help you very much. What's really helpful? What is a genuine a place of safety? is that quality of awareness, because the mind that knows pleasure and the mind that knows pain, you can know pain, and you know it's painful, but you can not create suffering around that. You can know that, say, having um, someone be unfriendly towards you or to reject you, it might be a painful emotional state, but the mind can know that this is the feeling of rejection. It's like this, and not add anything to it and so that that quality of awareness is a safe place that that uh, uh, that would be emphasized in the forest ajahn's teachings of that's the genuine buddha refuge that quality of awakened awareness that's the uh, the the genuine um, say uh, place of of security and which is reliable and dependable and the, the dhamma not as the, the Buddha's teachings, as the, the verbal teachings, but the Dhamma which is the fabric of reality, that which is the, the fundamental, uh, uh, ultimate reality of things. And in the, the qualities of the Dhamma, it, it, it tends to more refer to that, uh, uh, the qualities of that um, transcendent reality, uh, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, The the Dhamma stands out, as the the wording classically used to describe the Dhamma don't refer so much to the verbal teachings of the Buddha. Uh, It's not so personalized or or concretized. But the the Sangha, refuge in Sangha, uh, so that with with taking refuge in Dhamma, then uh, the encouragement is to um, say recognize that that fundamental reality that's the, the the reliable quality that is something that is dependable it's not something that is uh, subject to time or change or or that is say um uh, is disturbable is perturbable and uh, the refuge of, uh, in sangha uh, as an internal quality then uh, Lumpur would, would would emphasize rather than looking to the monastic community as refu as a Sangha refuge uh, as an inequality it's the mind that inclines towards goodness that inclines to straightforwardness, the mind that inclines towards um, living with with wisdom that the mind that inclines towards living with uh, integrity and is uh, is accomplished in that inclination, so that to take refuge in Sangha, yeah, I, have, I like to describe it is uh, in a more sort of simple and, and practical or well, familiar way, is to listen to that voice in the heart that loves the good, that in us which delights in goodness, that delights in what is wholesome, what is honest, what is kind, what is what is gentle, non, non-violent, that is, uh, um, that's uh, the refuge in Sangha is an internal quality. They're, each of us has that, that gunadhamma, that quality of virtue, that which, uh, which en- enjoys delights in, in honesty and kindness and harmlessness. So it's to, listen to, to deliberately listen to that voice and to be guided by that. That's taking refuge in Sangha as a psychological uh, quality, as, a, as a, an attitude that is established within us. And so, um, when uh, Lumbasameda would often describe taking refuge in Sangha, it's choosing, supatipanno ujipatipanno Samichi Patipano, choosing to uh, to practice well, to practice um, in a straightforward way, to uh, to follow that virtuous inclination. Uh, that's the uh, the the refuge in, in Sangha is embodied in that. they Picking up and uh, uh, say uh, 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 being guided by those qualities, letting that be the the the, um, the dominant attitude of the heart to recognize there are attitudes that arise that incline towards uh, selfishness and greediness and and, and violence and and um, laziness and so forth, and to to take refuge in sangha is to recognize those are unwholesome <laughs> leave those aside and then what is uh, in what is kindly what is honest what is gentle what is what is modest then you know th- those are th- that uh, are deliberately inclined towards and that's the that's what creates a the quality of or embodies the quality of a security because the heart that uh, is that loves the good is a um that that is uh, in a way a, a natural aspect of of uh, the dhamma itself so that the the, the fundamental nature of mind is uh, is the is dhamma the citta is dhamma it's not a person and so those attributes of the the the, the dhamma are both awareness that the buddha arises in the dhamma and then also, then the the mode of activity, or what um, is when the mind is awake, is aware. Then, uh, what is most delightful, what is most pleasing, are those qualities of wholesomeness, goodness, harmony, unselfishness, generosity, uh, and so forth. So that the you can say that the Buddha and the Sangha are natural attributes that, uh, of the um, of the Dhamma itself. There, uh, there, I, I, I couldn't point you out a particular passage of the or <laughs> that describes that in, in any specific detail, but I feel that's a helpful way of considering uh, or looking at how the, the three refuges uh, work in terms of psychological qualities and why they are um, a refuge, why, why they are the safe place, why they, they bring security uh, and ease. So 7 o'clock has come around, so I'll leave it there for today.